Welcome to the sermons of First Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor James Hunick, and I hope that these sermons help edify you and help you in your Christian faith. Please join us on Sundays for worship at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. with a Bible study in between. If you'd like to know more about us or want to know more about the Lutheran tradition, please visit us at www.youhaveaplace.com or reach out to me at pastorhunick at youhaveaplace.com. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The season of Epiphany is all about revealing the identity and person and work of Jesus Christ. We see today in the Gospel reading a Savior going out and freeing people as God's anointed by casting out demons, preaching the Gospel, and healing the sick. We learn who Jesus is, and it culminates in next Sunday's story of the Transfiguration where Jesus appears at the top of a mountain with Moses and Elijah, and the voice says, This is my son. Listen to him. People have a lot of weird ideas about God. This should be no surprise. You live in a culture where you get to hear all sorts of crazy ideas about God. You may read about them in books. You may hear people uh, on radio or online or in podcasts or whatever media you consume. There's some strange ideas about God out there. And that's actually no different than any time in history. People have always had weird ideas about who God is and what he does. Ideas not based on any sort of revelation, but whatever it is the culture suggests. It's true today, and it was true in ancient Israel. And one of the main problems that the book of Isaiah tries to deal with are the common problems with the understanding of who God is amidst all of the craziness that the rest of the world thinks. And so Isaiah, chapter 40 today, helps to correct some ideas of who God is and how he fits in creation that the people of that time were dealing with. And oddly enough, many of the ideas that our culture has about God are pretty similar to the ideas that the ancient Israelites might have had. Because human beings haven't really changed. I know, not a big surprise, right? Most of us, when we think about God on our own, we imagine God being a little bit like ourselves, just bigger and better. When you think about God, um, most people have this image. It's the Santa Claus in the white robe, right? There's the big bearded man in the sky, long and gray, and he looks down on the world. That really isn't all that different from the old pagan ideas of Baal and Asherah that the ancient Israelites used to believe in. And it's not all that different than, say, the Greek gods with Zeus and Athena and all of those. In fact, human beings have always imagined God 
basically as a bigger and better version of us. Stronger, more powerful, but kind of like us in that way. And Isaiah's message to ancient Israel and to us today is God is not like that. So what I'd like to do is make a comparison using Isaiah chapter 40 to compare the true God, on one hand, with the guy that maybe you know best, Zeus, right? If you can reach back into your elementary school Greek mythology lessons and remember who Zeus is, what I'd like to do is make a comparison between that old idea of Zeus and the true God and see how that sort of fits in with the way people think about God and mix the two. So let's take a look. I think one of the best ways to understand who Zeus really is is not through all the mythology, but to take a look at the Iliad. The Iliad is, is, has much more conversation back and forth between Zeus and the other gods and Zeus and the heroes. And so one of the things that we see in the, in the Iliad is that Zeus has limited attention. In fact, I think one of my favorite stories from that is Zeus has decided that in the Iliad, that the Greeks and the Trojans, he has a favorite. He knows who he wants to win, and he's declared it from the beginning, and the other gods are not so happy about that. So what does Hera do? Hera goes in and dresses in her nicest clothing. She puts on her best perfume, and she seduces her husband Zeus to distract him so that the other gods can do stuff. And he is so distracted that he, uh, well, eventually he falls asleep after enjoying her company. And then Poseidon can go out and fight at the head of the battle and turn the tide against what Zeus wants. Now, none of us imagine our God, to be like that, right? He doesn't get distracted by pretty ladies and good-smelling perfume. But I do think sometimes we imagine him as having limited attention. That is, if he's paying attention in one place, he can't in another. Or that maybe if a whole bunch of people are praying about really important things, his cue fills up, and so it's the minor things that just don't get listened to. As if God has limited attention. Or even that you might get lost. That you might not be seen by him. And if God is just that bearded man floating in the sky who's just a bigger version of us, it means that maybe he's looking in one place and not another. This is not how God works. God does not have limited attention like us. He does not have a, a narrow gaze because God is not a bearded man floating in the sky. He is the foundation of all being, the creator of the heavens and the earth. As it says 
It is he who sits on the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. God does not have limited attention for his creation. He sees all things and knows all things. And you are never outside of his sight. Which can be a little scary when we sin, but it's pretty great when we pray, right? Because there are some times when people think God isn't listening. In fact, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't want to bother God with, you know, this minor thing, right? I mean, he's really, he's a busy guy. He's got more important things to think about. But that's not the case. I once had a a person, uh, I scheduled a time to go visit with them. And it's always funny when I go visit, they people often will have a burning question in their heart and they'll say something to me like, oh, pastor, I know you're busy. I don't want to bother you with... And then they bring out this important question in their spiritual life. And I think, you should have asked me that six months ago. And this is one of those questions. I went to visit a couple and they brought me in and we did the chatting and we visited... And they said that thing. It was, Pastor, you know, I have this question and I just didn't want to bother. I know you're busy. I feel like God doesn't listen to my prayers. Right? That's a big question, isn't it? Maybe God was too busy. Maybe he just didn't look on them. Whatever. That wasn't a minor problem. That was a big problem. And the answer is, of course, God hears all our prayers. He does not have limited attention. He does not have to go over to Ukraine because there's a war there and ignore the United States. He does not go to the hospitals and like, okay, all of these people are sick, so I can't worry about the family over there. He hears and knows and responds to all things. He listens to you. And we know that because our Savior Jesus Christ promises that through him all of your prayers are presented to the Father. Our great high priest brings everything to him. And God promises to hear. He promises to respond and answer every prayer, whether you feel like they're being heard or not, whether your heart is overjoyed or sad. In all circumstances, your prayers go to the Father. Now, he may may not always say yes, but know that he is there, and he hears, and he cares. Another way that our understanding of God sometimes is limited 
is that we think of God as if he is limited in action. Zeus in the Iliad, he is limited to the, in the things that he can do because he is, can only be in one place at a time. He can be up, in, up with Hera or hanging out with the gods, but then he can't be down around Troy. If he's off gallivanting or having fun, his eyes aren't on a place where he, is, he wants to do stuff. He can only be in one place at a time. And while we don't think of God like the Greek god Zeus, if we do think of him as that man, bearded man floating up in heaven, sometimes we think that God's action in the world is limited. Because if he's up there looking down, it means he's not down here in control of all things and doing things. It means that his fingers only reach down and touch in one spot or another, that he's limited in his ability to intervene in creation. And we know that that is not true. God is not limited in the amount of multitasking he can do. I certainly am limited in the multitasking that I can do. I have one of those brains that uh, once I switch from one task to another, the previous task is as if it never existed. Um, and my poor wife knows that because I walk around the house going, where did I leave my, even though I set them down, 30 seconds ago. Of course, she's always got the answer because she's so much smarter than me. But God isn't like that, right? He can be doing all things in all places. He isn't a man floating up in the clouds who just sort of reaches down every once in a while, which is how we know that Jesus Christ can be present in every congregation, in every sanctuary, all across the planet Earth, all at the same time. Because we're not the only place that has Christ's body and blood with us today, right? There are hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of congregations that are gathering together where God has come to be present in a unique and amazing way. God isn't limited in action. It's not like he can have 100,000 pieces of his body and blood, and then he says, wait a second, I'm full, you'll have to wait till next week. Right? He can be here in this place with us, doing things by his might and his power, and there is no limit to it. And that's the same wherever you are that you don't leave God's protection when you go home. You don't leave his area of activity when you're out at work. He is always there with you. He is always there to guide and protect and be with you. And you can't leave that. God isn't like Zeus or the bearded man in the sky. He's unlimited in his ability to act in the world. 
And even more than that, he is unlimited in his power to act in the world. See, Zeus is quite limited in the Iliad. Even though he is more powerful than all the other gods, he spends a lot of time threatening them to try to get them to do what he wants. And there's, in one book, there is a long thing about how if they all teamed up against him, he could still fight them all, and even if they they had the strength of them all, they couldn't lift the things that he can lift. Which is really kind of petty for a god, right? But no one accused Zeus of not being petty. We don't imagine God to be like that guy who threatens the other gods into obedience. But sometimes, when we imagine the bearded man in the sky in the white robe, we act as if creation is sort of running on its own. The natural world just sort of happens. And every once in a while, God intervenes. And that sometimes things happen that are out of his control. And we do that often to try to get around the bad things that happen in creation. As if God could not be there with his power and his action when a car accident happens. Or cancer. Or tragedy. And sometimes we say that God withdraws his hand over us. Or no, that wasn't God, that was Satan. And that's what the Israelites were kind of thinking at this time. That maybe God isn't everywhere doing all things. When he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. God is in control of everything, even Satan, right? God is there in all things. Now, you might think, wait, 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 God is there in the bad stuff, too. But which is worse, God being in control of everything or not being in control of everything, right? We want a God who can be there with us in the tragedy, who we can say, I know that this is part of your plan to bring me to the resurrection and that there is nothing that can take me out of that plan. Not even Satan himself. And the best way to know that even Satan is under God's control is to realize that without Satan, Jesus' death and resurrection wouldn't have happened. Right? All Satan would have had to do to win was just not do anything. Not tempt Judas to betray Jesus. Not go into his heart and cause him to to take the blood money. Not act uh, with the Pharisees and tempt them to react against Jesus 
if he had just backed off and said, huh, I think I'm going to go over to Asia instead. None of it would have happened. But the devil is God's devil. And even he was part of the plan to bring Christ to the cross, to put him in the ground and raise him from the dead. Even that was under God's control. Which means that we can trust that when these bad things happen, they are still part of God's plan to bring us to eternal life. They're still part of a loving father providing for his children. And that nothing can take us out of that. No act of Satan, no spiritual force, no tragedy can pull us out of God's salvation and out of his power. So we can be sure that God will bring us to this resurrection and we will not be lost. People have weird ideas about God, whether it's the old gods, Baal and Asherah, or Zeus, or the floating man up in the sky. But they're not at all the true God. And it's good for us to know this and understand that our God is not like us. He's not a bigger and better version of us. He is so powerful and so mighty and so unlimited that it really kind of hurts our brains to recognize it. But it's good because only that God can save us the way we need him to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermons. If you have any questions about anything that you've heard or anything about the Lutheran tradition, I would love to answer them. Please contact me at pastorhuenink at youhaveaplace.com.